Welcome to the Talking Texas podcast. I'm Hudson Standish. Joining me every week during the college football season is my co-host and uh, co-pilot at Horns 24-7, Mr. Mike Roach. Mike, you just got back from a Fort Worth ISD district ball game. So we're uh, needing to pivot from the recruiting brain to the team brain. Let's talk some uh, Texas Longhorns football bouncing back from the Texas Tech loss and heading into a home conference game against the West Virginia Mountaineers. Let me tell you, before we get to that, there are a lot of people out here. It's a common trope among recruiting parents and coaches sometimes that like, oh, these guys only go where the five stars are. They don't care about Listen, there were no five stars on that field tonight. There were no stars on the field tonight. We got back to our roots. We found some players. It was a lot of fun. So I am I am ready to talk some team, though. I feel like um, basically since that Tech game ended, I've been waiting to, like, unpack it. And uh, this is our, kind of our first formal opportunity to do so. It's nice for us on Talking Texas because we do get a full week to make sure that everything we have following a game is coherent. We're not – I mean, because honestly, if I had to get takes off on Sunday, I think they'd be a lot more emotional and less, um, I guess, factual or, you know, based on how the actual game went. Um, I don't know how if you how you feel about that. A little more half-baked, maybe. Exactly. Also, um, I, I don't know. It's. I mean, I say that, but also sometimes you watch, uh, you watch, you know, missed assignments on the defensive side of the ball enough. And it made me, maybe it gives you more time to just, you know, be driven crazy by uh, an unfortunate uh, performance on that side of the ball, which I think is a perfect way to open up with the Texas tech game Uh, defensive effort that we've been really uh, pleased with you know, for the, throw the first three games of the season kind of turned sour in Lubbock on the road. Yeah, just a crippling inability to get off the field on money downs. And even it was kind of exasperated by the fact that Tech just refused to punt. And so even if you stopped them on third, you knew that you were going to have an extra money down. Um, and I think that, you know, when it, once it got into that situation where it was very clear, if it was fourth and anything, it seemed like under five, they were they were going for it. So um, frustrating to say the least. I thought there there actually was a period where the defense adjusted. It felt like after Tech got out to the lead and then Texas came back and they had stalled Tech for a couple of drives. But then again, in the second half, like kind of a lot of those issues reared their heads and it was. You know, we haven't seen, I don't think, as many of, like, the blown coverage things this year, but we've seen the the one that that's kind of getting them. It got to them in the first half against UTSA, and I thought a lot against Tech is just that that missed tackle when you've got the guy short of the sticks and he's able to just extend and, and just get enough or, you know, the guy that, that is in position to make the stop and does it. Those are the the assignments. And then kind of, you know, those timely runs teams are getting off where the run fits aren't, aren't exactly getting there. Yeah. And on the money downs point, it's, it's almost twofold too, to where the fourth downs are obviously killer. But two that I don't think are being talked enough about are they have Texas Tech backed into like, I think, a third and 26. And Ophiogofu and Ryan Watts both jump off sides, leading to a free play 
that um, allows Donovan Smith to take a shot downfield. Texas Tech ends up converting on the free play. That's just crucial, crucial mistake. And honestly, one of the things I hated um, (laughs) the most about it is that Ophi gets caught off sides. And then if you look, Mike, he doesn't – like a lot of times what you're taught as a defender is if you get caught off side – you make the play while you're offside. Like if you're right. in the zone, you need to give – don't let them throw the ball up. And Ophi just completely stops after realizing he made a mistake, which is just an absolute pet peeve of mine. And honestly, uh, you know, I think that this was probably the biggest game where a lot of our offseason talk about, hey, the pass rush not being able to – um, get to the quarterback when you have to run three, four uh, pre- man pressures is going to be a big problem. That was one of the big things. And then also, you know, they actually do get a stop on fourth down to open up the second half and the offense can't make it a three score game. Yeah, And I think that the big concerns for me coming out of the game are the defensive game plan, not adjusting and the defense honestly just not adjusting to that I guess modern era ball control offense where they're not exactly trying to do an app state against Texas A&M to you where they just run the ball down your throat and time of possession but they're just trying to keep you on the field complete hitches complete speed outs uh you know get some timely third and fourth downs and that was upsetting, but also just the offense not being able to put them away. Obviously, with the caveat that Quinn Ewers isn't out there and healthy, but, you know, something that we'll probably talk about. I think you told me after the game, if Hudson Card goes 16 of 22 for 200-plus yards and really only makes one mistake on the night, you think you win on the road, and they weren't able to. Yeah, so you said a lot, and I want to respond to a lot of it, so I'm going to try to get yeah, a little rambly there. To the, to the beginning. Um, because you did bring up a lot of good points that I want to touch on. The the offside stuff, it's frustrating um, because, like you said, if you're going to get the flag, you, you might as well get your money's worth for it. The thing that I do want to address, because it's been brought up a bunch on the board, and it's, I mean, it's a common trope as long as I've read Texas Longhorn Message Boards. Even when Dwayne Aquino was there and, uh, you know, Texas truly was DBU, it was like, why don't these guys ever look back for the ball? I can tell you that I go to a lot of coaching clinics. I sit in on a lot of like DB coach lectures and stuff like that, mainly because I really like, I really like the defensive back position. It's probably the position I feel that I evaluate the best out of all of them. And um, so I, I take a special interest in DB play. And I can tell you that coaches across the country do not teach kids to look back for the ball. And it's mostly because their principle is that when you look back for the ball, you lose your guy and you can lose speed and that you are to play the man and play the ball through their hands. And that's more what they're looking for. Um, and it's not just a Texas thing. It, it, it happens a lot. Now it's got to be on the player a little bit to balance that out and find the balance of being able to play both the man and the ball, but it's not, I think if you're one of these guys that's on a message board screaming about it, you're screaming into a void because it's just something that football is kind of phased out, especially since they took face guarding out of the game. Um, you know, as long as you can keep from, from making contact, which they didn't. And then, so it either led to a big catch or a big penalty or something of that nature. Um, you know, it, it became an issue. I thought, may, I mean, maybe if you go back to the Louisiana Lafayette game, you, that's the only other one I thought, going into the fourth quarter, like, and this is Hudson Card's best game as a quarterback at Texas. Like, I thought he was actually really sharp 
Um, I thought he ran the ball well. Yeah, there were some droughts offensively, um, but I thought he did everything you kind of could have asked for from him. And, you know, it was frustrating seeing Xavier Worthy get hurt. It was frustrating um, seeing the receivers kind of continue to kind of disappoint. But even like, I think there's no more encouraging thing for for Hudson Card. And I had this this kind of headline in my head almost of, you know, I think Texas, uh, I might be the only, I, I guess at this point, I, I had this headline in my head before they lost, but I guess I might be the only one on this island. I think I'm a lot more encouraged with where Hudson Card is as a backup quarterback than I was coming out of the Alabama game. And I think there's no more perfect example of that than down the stretch when they needed it to tie it. They go right down the field. He made some big throws, I thought. Tariq Milton came in, make a, made a big catch. It got him in position to win that game. Now, you get a fumble from Bijan Robinson. That's not something you expect. Um, yeah. But in the end, I thought Hudson Card did more than enough. Now, again, now, now I'm the one rambling. I'm seeing your ramble with my ramble. But they've got to get more from the interior line when it comes to the run game. And I think that's a big problem because a lot of Bijan's stuff right now is coming off things that he bounces or cuts back. But, you know, I thought he played a really strong game up until the fumble. I thought Sakar played a strong enough game to win. And, I, I, you know, my, my prevailing thought at the end, and I was the guy last year saying, hey, this, they need to have an offense that can sustain drives and keep the defense off the field. But if the defense can't get off the field, it's on them. Agreed. Um, by the way, Hudson Card's total stat line was 20 of 30, 277 for two touchdowns and an interception. Had a uh, 22 yard scamper that was a big play in the game as well. Yeah. So, like, I mean, had I told you last week when we recorded this, that's what you're going to get from Hudson Card, what would you have thought? It would have, I, I probably would have thought that it was like a 38 to, you know, 24 type game. Like, yeah, it, it's just, it's incredibly disappointing. And again, I don't think that any of us are because I did see a couple of people on Twitter anytime that, you know, of course, Twitter and the board at times, especially after a loss are a little bit irrational, but complimenting Hudson card for playing a good game. Isn't saying that we don't think that Quinn Ewers would elevate this offense. I think we all agree. Yes, I agree. But at the same time, considering the circumstances of a road game with Xavier worthy, not there. It is. I mean, it's just disappointing because Again, I'll I'll be honest. I'm not totally convinced that this is going to be the level of play we see from Hudson Card, you know, throughout the next week or two. You know what I mean? Like he hasn't shown enough to me to know that this is his consistent level now. So I think that's the discouraging part. I think that later we'll hit on some encouraging things for the Longhorns, but. Mike, I, I was talking to, to some friends, uh, obviously, you know of them, my college group, the Anxiety Pals, and there was a lot of anxiety in the group text this week talking about how big this two-game stretch for Steve Sarkeesian is to kind of right this ship early in the season for year two. It reminded us a little bit of that TCU-Oklahoma stretch for Tom Herman and what ended up being his final year where you know, you get a West Virginia team that I think, you know, you know that I liked them uh, before the year, Mike, but I don't know when you look at their schedule and their performance uh, this season, the Kansas game 
Yeah. <laughs> now it looks I think a lot different. When they lost to Kansas, it was like, oh man, West Virginia, but like Kansas is uh has uh changed the narrative. Yeah. Look, listen, Texas fans have known Kansas is a good program for a long time. Everybody else is just catching up. Unfortunately, good God. Um, are we? Are that sounded like a transition? Like you want to move on to West Virginia? I do. I'm good to bounce around a little bit. Okay. I just think that, that I think that right now we can hit some more tech stuff. But this two game stretch, like, I mean, I hate the must win term, but at home against oh, yeah. West Virginia, like, yeah. And so that's kind of what I want to touch on is after the game, I saw a ton of doom and gloom. Um, obviously, always is. And I think you and I have different views on this because you and I talked after the game. And um, yes, it was a winnable game, but yeah, Lubbock's a tough place to play. And that was a team that was ready to go. Um, and I think that they've got weapons. They do have weapons. Like it was kind of what I said on the podcast last week. Like, what if it all clicks for Donovan Smith and he stops throwing the ball to the other team? then what does Tech look like? That's kind of what happened last week. Now, they said it felt like they simplified things a lot more for him, and Texas was happy to give him those easy throws and easy yards, and, yeah, we wanted to see more there. But, I mean, Miles Price I thought was sensational for them. Um, you know, they, they played really good up front on defense, and they just made enough plays. So my question to you is, did you have the sense of this is disaster after that loss, or was it just like, you know, like to me, this loss in a vacuum doesn't mean a lot. It just depends on what the overall product they put out this season is. Like, I'm not saying they're going to rattle off, you know, the next whatever nine games. But, you know, if this is a if we predicted them to be an eight and four and nine and three team and this is just one of those three or four losses. What it, you know, it, isn't that what matters in the end? I see where you're coming from. I honestly, I don't think that Texas, like I was not very impressed with Texas tech and it feels silly to say after a loss, but really a lot. I like, it's not a disaster, but that's a defense that should be able to really dictate uh, to the tech offense. And, you know, huge credit to Zach Kitley because I thought that he was, fantastic after um, an NC State game where on the road, I think he just wasn't able to get Smith to execute what he wanted. But, you know, I thought the Texas Tech defense would be honestly a little bit better and they got stops when they needed. But, you know, that's not a team I'm overly impressed with. And I think that's the biggest deal is that Texas is getting ready to transition to the SEC where I think week in and week out, you're going to have much better competition. So not being able to go on the road to Lubbock and get a win in a spot to where, I don't know, it's it's a tough place to play. All road college football games are. But, again, I'm. it's not disaster. But after the Alabama game, I think that expectations for the program, for this season, shifted up. Maybe that's unfair, and maybe we should have known in the moment that that was a one type, of, one game type of performance, and they needed to stay around eight and four or nine and three. But now to, to be nine and three, you have to you have to finish the season. Um, what like uh, seven and one? Yeah, that, I mean that's yeah, a tall task. It's a very tall task, and and I don't think eight and four is a 
across the board for the fan base benchmark for success. I think a lot of people, if the Texas finished eight and four in Bijan Robinson's final season would be pretty disappointed. I agree. But what I'm saying is you and I, I mean, most of the people who talk about this team for a living, I think we had them at around that record. So I don't think I saw many Texas fans, at least on our board, that were like, yeah, this is an 11-win team or this is a 10-win team. Definitely, like, not, definitely not preseason. Yeah, so, yeah, maybe the expectation did change. By the way, because I know we talked about it a lot before the UTSA game, this was my worry about the defense before the UTSA game, that, that yeah. we were not going to get that consistent performance out of the defensive line. And I do think – Zach Kitley did a lot to neutralize the pass rush by getting the ball out quickly. Yeah. But I thought that the Texas defense played into their hands by not pressuring those receivers more because totally agree against Alabama. Yes. The defensive line was good, but the coverage was so good that they were getting yeah. a lot of coverage pressure. And I just, there wasn't that, there wasn't that this week. So it's kind of a back to the drawing board for that side of the ball. Um, you know, each game, I never think, I never take, I guess, too much out of like, we're going to see this consistently, unless it's, it, you know, it is a guy like Bijan Robinson, because each game is so different game to game, week to week. I just think that I, it's just, it's a microcosm to me because of what I see on Twitter, which is an echo chamber. It's funny. Um, I was like tagged in the original Texas is hiring Steve Sarkeesian tweet. And like after the Bama game, I got like this random notification of somebody replying to it and being like, I'm sorry, coach. I, I doubted you on the day you were hired. And now, now I'm so proud you're a coach. And then like, that's, I think it was the same guy was like, Sark's not our guy after the tech game. And I'm like, this is, this is the issue at Texas. I mean, it's, oh. it, it's one of the biggest issues of everybody wanting to decide game to game, who is the guy and who isn't the guy. It's a, it is a process. Like, let's see what this bears out. I do agree with you. This is the biggest two game stretch for them. I mean, it's, it's must win stuff and it's probably not boiled down to a two game stretch. I mean, if they go win these next two games, yeah, that'll be great. And then if they lose the next two, you're right back or where, yeah. where you know, where you are. I think winning the next two though gives you an affordability to where if you like, if you drop one, it's not the end of the world, but if you lose against West Virginia, you're two and three, and you're going into Red River in a true like put up or shut up game. And if you beat West Virginia and lose to Oklahoma, again, you um, what are three and three heading into the rest of the seat? Like it, it's just tough. I think on the defensive point that you made, Mike, what it felt like to me was that against Alabama, it was we know that. I guess on a play-to-play -play basis, we're not going to be able to just always rally to the ball and tackle, which they did do a good job in that game. But what I'm saying is they they felt like they had to play tighter coverage because they were like, we need to get to Bryce Young, um, so we're going to play tight and, you know, really force their hand and try to dictate, um, I guess, the action to the Alabama offense, and it worked. I feel like we've just seen a return to a lot of um, last seasons, you know, okay, we'll play in our two shell and we'll rally and tackle to the ball. And what we've gotten is just, you know, Texas tech really um, 
just, I don't know, dominating Texas in the tight end and slot uh, game. Like I, I, I bet Baylor Cup, uh, Jed Castles and Miles Price combined for like 20 receptions. It was just to the point to where I don't think that Ryan Watts is doing a bad job and he's actually playing press uh, coverage on almost every single snap it felt like. But everything else in the secondary. And I think Sark even mentioned that like the secondary and um, front seven approach was just disjointed. He mm-hmm. mentioned all off season, how they wanted to play tighter coverage and you just didn't get that. And that, that that's not the only um, answer, right? It's not like if you play tight coverage, everything gets solved. I mean, look at Miami who played essentially cover zero against middle Tennessee state and had like 600 yards thrown on. That's not the only solution. But it just gives a different look, and at times it just felt like the defensive approach was monotonous against the you know offense that was kind of carving you up. Even though, when you really look at the individual battles, I do think Texas has the much better players. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a point of it was a very frustrating step back for the defense because I thought to this point, and look, I've been probably one of the more pro PK voices out there. I thought to this point in the season, he's done a good job. I thought that they played Alabama really well. I thought they adjusted against what UTSA was giving them really well. This was a bad, this was a bad step back for the defense. And and like I said, kind of off the top of the show, um, you know, it's, it's, if the defense can't get off the field, that's on them. And at the end of the day, the defense couldn't get off the field. And that's kind of what doomed them. Uh, Miles Miles Price and Baylor Cup and uh, Mason Tharp combined for 19 receptions. So yeah, not- I mean, they they certainly found the, the weaknesses and exposed them, and and that's where it was. And it 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 the thing is, and I think this is where the visceral reaction comes from from Texas fans that are doom and gloom. And I understand it. It got into that fourth quarter, and it felt a whole lot like last year. Like you could just kind yeah. of see it coming, and. Oh. A week after with UTSA where it felt like a different team. Yeah. And then you don't put them away when it's uh, a potential to go to a three-score game. You have so many opportunities. And, you know, they, they were lucky they got it to overtime, to be completely honest. Uh, Mike, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors who we appreciate and love so much. Um, and then we'll be back to finish up the tech recap and go on to West Virginia. All right, we are back from break. Continue our discussion on Texas Tech. Um, you, Mike, you're absolutely right that it really did, I think, almost trigger the battered fan syndrome in a lot of people with that fourth quarter and how it kind of unraveled. Yeah, I want to ask you this. I saw a lot of people criticize Sark's play calling, and I, I, I think in any game with any offense coordinator, there's probably some plays you want back. Um I do think that at times Sark is maybe maybe just not turned Hudson Card as loose as, as maybe he should. And when he's forced to, I, I think last week we saw that when he was forced to kind of let Hudson Card do his thing because he, he had to, you know, he made some throws and made some plays. But um, what did you think overall about the offensive game plan? Do you th- like, I think there is p- blame to go around. I don't think it's 100% on the defense. I think the majority I would put on the defense, though. Yeah, the majority of the blames on the defense. Like the overall offensive play calling is good. Like Sark knows, <laughs> sorry, I was about to say Sark knows what he's doing, but uh, 
that would be a call to one of our other favorite podcasts who we uh, tease a little bit. Uh, Affirmations, baby. Yeah, some affirmations (laughs) which are needed. But, you know, overall, like that first opening script is just brilliant. Like, I think that there are a lot of really encouraging things. He schemes open Xavier Worthy for a nice touchdown. Like, Sarkeesian's overall play calling, to me, game to game is normally – from a B to an A plus. Like, I think he's really good. The problem is you have those three straight punts in the second half to where I don't even think it's that it's a turtle mindset on two of those drives. I believe Hudson card attempted passes to start. So it's not like he's just trying to run the ball and get out of the game clock. And, you know, unfortunately one of them, you get a goal line stop and you're kind of limited a bit um, in what you can call when your uh, backs against the wall. What do you, what are your, this was a popular take I saw this week. So I want to get your thoughts. Is the, uh, is the Wildcat ineffective? Has it turned ineffective for Texas? Yeah. I mean, I think that after the, I think after the second time running it, when you realize that, okay, we're not going to get the push we need, I think that's the main problem. I don't think that it's the, the Wildcat package is just broken. I think it's just that you're, your right guard and left guard and center. I think Jake probably played the best game of the interior trio, but like Hayden Connor's been a little bit disappointing and I didn't think played that well against tech. And then, you know, Cole Hudson really had his first true freshman game. We've talked about how Kelvin Banks is basically a lock to be a freshman All-American. Unfortunately, with Cole Hudson, when you're a true freshman, you, sometimes you have games like that and he got beat pretty repeatedly Um including on a pretty crucial fourth down that caused a tackle for loss and a bunch of other times in the game. I think that's the big problem is when you realize that the interior of your offensive line is getting whipped, you can't run wildcat unless you're just doing some complete gadget stuff where you don't think that'll matter. Normally in the wildcat, you get the numbers advantage. And so you think that you can pound it on guys and that just wasn't happening. It, it may be hard to do because you want to be able to go tempo and not have to sub a ton, but part of me almost thinks like, hey, if we go Wildcat, do we just want to sub in Cam Williams and TJ Campbell and, um, you know, get I mean, two- if it's for a fourth down stop and like, you know, they do it at times where they have the package with uh, Keandre Coburn and Byron Murphy that they brought in. I'm surprised we didn't get a little bit of that, like. If, if you really want to get into that type of set, I mean, it's not a bad idea to just get on some, get on some bigger dudes. Here's another thing I want to bring up that there have been so many players like this at Texas over the years that I can remember whether it be DJ Monroe or DJ Johnson. It's like, how do we figure out how to get this guy the ball? It feels like every week Texas gets Keelan Robinson a couple touches early and he does something with them. And then Keelan Robinson just kind of disappears from the game. Yeah. Am I am I alone in thinking that? I, I think that because they used him so much on the opening script, it just made that feeling just even more present. Uh, like the, the touchdown play was gorgeous. The design yeah, I mean, that's what I'm talking about too with Sark, where it's just like, I mean, you can't really just, you can't really complain too much about Sark with his play calling because like, I think that in in a week or so, or I guess in two weeks when we're talking about the Oklahoma game, I, you know, knock on wood, and obviously Texas fans are going to hate me if I jinx this, but I feel like we're going to have two plays where it's like, oh, yeah, Sark just schemes up a touchdown there. And that's what 
you really want out of your head coach. And I think that's why a lot of Texas fans are so desperate for this to work with Sarkeesian because he does bring the quarterback recruiting ability and the offensive game planning to where this really could be big for the program. But yeah, yeah to your point and to, sorry to go on a, that was a pretty terrible tangent. Yeah. I, I want Keelan Robinson to get the ball more. Yeah. I, I just, I, there's a lot of times where I, like they get in ball early and I'm like, yeah, that works. That, that scheme works. And then I feel like it, you know, they go back to Rashawn and Bijan and, and that's just kind of it. So especially with the receivers struggling right now, outside of Jordan Whittington, I'd say Jordan Whittington has done a, a fine job. Um, I guess last thing for me on the tech game, First, well, second to last thing, let me quickly say it hasn't come to bite them yet. Can we give Bert Auburn some love for nailing kicks when they're needed? I've I've been talking about this a ton again with within my own various friend groups, and I even mentioned it on the board, I'm pretty sure. Like Bert Auburn's made like three major kicks this year. Yeah, already. And, I mean, and his two misses are a snap that was completely uh off. And a block and hold that was missed, and then a block from Will Anderson. Like, yeah, some some credit some credit uh, needs to be put on Bert Auburn's uh, name, the Flower Mound kid. Certainly, shout out to him. Um, my second question: We saw Jai Hall for the first time, and it wasn't. It was a brief glimpse. It was a. Yeah. I was like, I'm. I was so dumb brain. I'm sitting on the couch going, who is 15? Like, I've never seen this guy in the game. No, I was, I've been praying for it. So as <laughs> soon as the, I was the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen meme. Yeah, I was, it was just one of those things that it like took me by surprise. It, didn't it feel like, oh, when Najai Hall came back, we'd probably know. And it was like, no, we'll just sneak him in in the third quarter of the tech game or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I guess my question is, do you think we see a more expanded role from him? Obviously, I think that helps them. And it's one catch, so I don't want to make too much of it, but should we see more Tariq Milton? Like, I, I'm to the point where yeah, I don't absolutely. think the, the receiving core has been performing to the level of, like, like Casey Kane's made a couple of nice plays, big plays at times, t- timely plays. But, like, is Casey Kane's spot in the lineup unassailable? No, not at all. And I think that something I maybe I've mentioned on the podcast, I can't remember, but Ajay Hall getting into the game gives a completely different threat than Casey Kane. Like when people scout Texas, they do understand that you can keep somebody over Casey Kane and he's never really going to, he's not going to be the same deep threat that you have to account for with Ajay Hall, who is a verified, you know, freak show. So what you've had is you've had a lot of people being able to kind of sneaky bracket Xavier Worthy, where I think that with Ajay at the X and obviously uh, the, I guess, pro X, even though obviously Xavier Worthy and Steve Sarkeesian's system is the X receiver. Um, but in general, I just think adding more weapons onto the field is always a good thing, even if the reliability isn't there, just because it affects the defensive coordinators, uh, you know, calculus on a play-by-play basis. That, which is why I think, you know, getting Keelan Robinson in dangerous spots, even if he's not getting the ball, but if he's at the mesh point and a linebacker has to think, oh God, if he gets the ball in the jet sweep, what am I going to do? Yeah. I just uh, I'm I'm to the point with the receiving group where it's like I know you know nobody's spot outside of Xavier Worthy who by the way is not having you know the season we probably expected him to have 
is safe. But I mean, Xavier Worthy still he has he uh, he can do that one thing, which is get behind everybody. For me, it, I mean, this is an overreaction, but I don't like. I don't want people to jump to conclusions where I'm going with this, but like, I would rather have Jordan Whittington on the field consistently right now, just because he has been pretty reliable for me. I I, obviously he's not the um, deep play threat and explosive guy that Xavier worthy is, but I don't know. I think rotation, like a little bit more rotation might help Xavier a little bit too, just because, He's being asked to carry a pretty large load uh, to start the season. And I don't know, Mike, like you said, there's been some meat left on the bone with him. So maybe getting Milton and Hall more snaps can, even if it's just 10 off of Xavier Worthy's plates, can lead to reps at 100% and maybe, you know, getting some plays made. Yeah, and I just believe that they are creative enough to do that. And then, again, it's you're working a Jaya Hall in. He hasn't played and this was his first game I didn't expect him to log 70 snaps in this game yeah. but going forward I am very interested to see his usage um okay I think I mean that's all I've got on tech unless you want to talk any more of it no I think that's perfect for me but when you were looking at West Virginia what was the first thing that stood out for you like how familiar <laughs> were you with the team how much research did you do just out of curiosity I did some reading on numbers this week and then I have watched uh condensed versions of three of their games i'm currently watching the pittsburgh game now which by the way in a condensed version you don't get to like digest any of it because it's just play by play but this looked like a while i didn't get to watch it because i was moving or something this looked like a wild ass game i mean it was incredible (laughs) honestly i i still believe that west virginia probably should have won the game they have did do you remember the play that decides it where Bryce Ford Wheaton has a ball go off his hands into a pick six for Pitt. Yeah. I mean, I saw the highlight at the time. Um, I'm like in the third quarter right now, but I mean, there's just, every time I look up, it's a turnover or a big play or something. It was a wild ass game. What stands out to me about them is I think a lot of people are, especially the, the Kansas loss, I think was what did it. But a lot of people were like, Oh, West Virginia, that'll be a dub. It's like, uh, this team's dangerous. Like CJ Donaldson looks like a guy that Texas fans are going to really find out who he is um, uh, uh, this weekend and what he can do. JT Daniels, people forget, is a former five-star, like elite quarterback, a guy that, and he, in watching the Virginia Tech game, he made a couple of throws that are just on the money as good of a throw as you can expect a quarterback to make. I think he's been actually pretty good this year. Yeah, I looked at his numbers. I think he's seven touchdowns, two picks, something like that. And it's been pretty efficient, somewhere around 65%, I think, uh, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. Their defense does look prone to the big play, but their front can kind of get after it. And then the, the other thing that stands out to me is they've got some big physical receivers that can, can make yeah. a play on the ball. Um, I mean, this is a team that wants to spread you out. And then once they get you spread out, they'll run on you or they'll, uh, you know, if they've got the numbers advantage or they can, they can throw it around kind of anywhere. This is a, this is a dangerous team. And I think that a couple of weeks ago, everybody saw Kansas loss and thought, okay, well, West Virginia is done for. I, I don't think that's the case. Now, I don't really know what they are because for one, I don't really know how good, I, I don't obviously think Pittsburgh is the Pittsburgh of last year. Um, I think that Kansas, like we said, that's kind of changed the math a little bit. 
I think Virginia Tech's pretty bad. Um, Very bad. So I, I kind of teased at it. I don't know if it made the edit for my game prediction, but I said that, you know, West Virginia's two wins are uh, against FCS Towson and basically FCS Virginia Tech. Yeah. So, I mean, it, they're not, and I think their numbers are a little skewed um, because of like Kansas is getting it done offensively. I still think their defense is not a lot to write home about. Towson's obviously Towson, but I mean, West Virginia, I think is a top 10 team in scoring offense and, uh, and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think their numbers are a bit skewed, but yeah, I, neither of these teams, but this is a, this is a dangerous, dangerous team. And I think this, I had to ask you earlier this week, I'm like, who is CJ Donaldson? Cause the more reading I did on him, I was like, he oh, looks yeah. like a nightmare to defend. So uh, some fun tidbits on who uh, also very fun in high school. He just went by his like, uh, I guess, birth name to Carlo Donaldson. And so during the Pittsburgh game, I was <laughs> Googling like CJ Donaldson, West Virginia, because I was like, who is this guy? And literally nothing was showing up. And so I was like, okay, they have this true freshman who you literally cannot find a 24 seven sports profile for like, who on earth is this kid end up finding on the roster that he uh, essentially just changed his name. Once he got to college, found his uh, profile and, Oh, I, I'm blanking on what school in Florida he went to. I, it might've been Shamanan Madonna. It's, it's a pretty decent school. You'll have heard of it before, but he played almost in a little Jordan Humphrey esque role for his school, where he was playing running back tight end wide receiver. And because of the uncertainty, oh, uh, Gulliver prep. Yeah. Gulliver prep. I was like, I know that it's a pretty big school. So he was there with Jalen Brown, the LSU commit. Oh, I just, I just Googled him and I saw a picture of him in his immortals. Yes. I saw this kid in like several seven on seven tournaments over the last couple of years. And he was a nightmare there. Jeez. I didn't know this was him. Okay. That makes sense now. Exactly, but so you having seen him might even like the little Jordan, and he's not as big as little Jordan was, but it's that same type of high school um, player to where it's like, look, I have no idea what position he's going to play, but he's too good at football um, to not offer him a scholarship, and I think that's why I believe originally he was a two lane commit and ended up getting uh, flipped by West Virginia. Florida offered him, and he's come in at West Virginia as a true freshman and kind of has taken the uh, bulk of the carries in the running back room. So he's a really intriguing power run threat to pair with JT Daniels. JT Daniels has, you kind of hinted at it. Bryce, Bryce Ford Wheaton is a truly terrifying Ryan Watts needs to shadow him all game type of outside receiver. And then with Caden Prather, they have another guy that they can pair up on the outside to where, you know, I, I do think this is a game, and Deshaun Jameson hasn't been bad this year, um, to be completely honest. I, I've been a little bit surprised about his play, but I am worried about the size differential between him and these West Virginia outside receivers. Like, it's going to be a really interesting matchup, and if the Texas defense um, that showed up in Lubbock last week, <laughs> you know, takes the field in Austin, it's going to be a shootout, and who knows what's going to happen in the shootout. Really quickly, C.J. Donaldson this year, 52 carries, 380 yards, six touchdowns. He's averaging 7.3 yards a carry and uh, nearly 100 yards a game. So he has been the, the bell cow for them. And, you know, just watching him, he is built to uh, be a nightmare. This guy, um, I forget his first name. I'm looking at him on the screen now. Uh, 
Stills that plays defensive line for them. Yeah, Dante. Dante Stills. God, it feels like he's been at West Virginia for 10 years. And he is a guy that I, I – this is year five for him, and I was going to mention him when we got to the defense. Let's just get into it now. A career, active career sacks leader, and in a defense that I don't think is very good, is good enough to get them off the field for one or two drives a game. Yeah, and I mean, that's going to be – it looks like he mainly lines up on the right side. So, hey, maybe this is another example of, hey, Kelvin Banks faced a tough test and passed it, but – I mean, it is going to be a tough test for him. I think yeah, you're right. When I look at them defensively, they are apt for the big play. I think that there's going to be some bad run fits. There's going to be some bad angles. There is going to be opportunities for that play. But, man, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's everybody it's, – it's the same thing for everybody. So to say this about West Virginia is kind of weird, but, like, it feels like West Virginia takes special joy – um, in Texas, I think that they're in their time in the in the Big Twelve. I think they're like five and five. It's a five and five record. It's a pretty split series, um, and they they kind of love coming in and being spoiler to to Texas. And um, I I think if they're revved up, they're one of those teams that kind of feeds off that that type of energy. So um, you know you might get a better defensive uh, uh, performance out of them than you than you originally thought. Um. Texas, a rare, a rare team where Texas uh, is five and six all time against West Virginia. Five and six, okay. So, like, just a just a rare one where, you know, like you said, Mike, like they they actually are leading the all time series. That you can't say that a lot about a lot of college football programs. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know. Let it's me good. tell you what they they like. I said they. They're prone to big plays. They don't look like they tackle extremely well as I'm watching Pitt score another touchdown in this game. They will hit you in the secondary. I mean, they've got some dudes, and they've kind of always had that reputation. Like, I can remember uh, it feels like defense after defense where they've had a safety who will take your head off um, in a legal way. Uh, and, yeah, so uh, they, they strike me as physically, you know, there. It's just I think they kind of have – you know, just the missed tackle issues and things like that. But I, I, the more I'm thinking about this, the more I'm like, Ooh, did I go? I think I might've taken the under on the, on the total on the score. When I gave my prediction, now I'm thinking, is this going to be a shootout? I, I, I definitely went the shootout with my method and I hope I'm wrong that the Texas defense uh, gets some answers and looks more like the unit that we thought they were after three games, but you know, I, I've been worried about this West Virginia team all off season. So I don't know. I'm very much hope. I very much am hoping I'm wrong and they're able to uh, get them off the field on a regular basis. Um, I'm trying to think I, like the West Virginia offensive line uh, returns. I believe everybody from last year, I believe they have one starter who's a little bit dinged up, but basically every team has somebody that's uh, worse for the wear at this point of the season. Um, and then like you were kind of saying, like with the defense, there's there are going to be plays to be made. Like as complimentary as we've been about West Virginia, and as I think much as we'll acknowledge that Kansas is a pretty good uh, team this year, um, at the same point, you still gave up 40 plus to them. And I'm not going to say 50 because I did see one person who 
uh, made an error. Uh, I can't remember if it was on the board Twitter, but they were like, yeah, this West Virginia team got blown out by Kansas. They lost by 14 or whatever. And it was like, no, that was an overtime game where Kansas scores first. They get an interception to walk off the game. So that's a very deceiving box score. If you're just looking at box scores, this, you know, West Virginia and Kansas was an overtime game that really could have gone either way. And, you know, again, at the time we, we thought that that might be it for Neil Brown, but, you know, uh, they ended up, uh, they ended up uh, rebounding nicely against Towson and then Virginia Tech. Yeah, um, I guess we've been a little doom and gloom here. So why don't we do this? What if we take a quick break and hear from those sponsors? And then when we come back, let's let's look at some positives and where we think Texas can, you know, where, where they have some some advantages in this game. I love it, Mike. Uh, definitely a good idea to go to the sponsors. They always cheer us up. They rule. All right, and we're back on the Talking Texas podcast. Mike? You start first with the Kool-Aid. What do Texas fans have to look forward to this Saturday? Uh, it sounds like a tired trope, I guess, to say, but um, it's another week of Bijan Robinson. And I think that it's going to come and go before people realize it. And people are going to say, well, we, you know, that was it. That was our chance to watch a truly special player. And what we've talked about with this defense and the West Virginia defense being prone to big plays, I think that Kyle flood and Sark have to go to the, maybe have to go to the, to the bench a little bit and maybe find some options to open up more in the interior run. Um, But I think this could be a big week for him. And I will say this, he uh, definitely uh, not a serious uh, line of analysis by me, but I just joking, remembering it back. Like he has uh, some yards to, make up for because one of the plays his freshman year that really stands out when you look back at that breakout campaign and, you know, he should have gotten more carries, but was the phantom step out of bounds against West Virginia um, with, I believe maybe he made three spin moves and a stiff arm on that run. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah. It was kind of his breakout, like the world being like, Oh God. Oh, this is a freak. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, and, And like I said, it's, it's going to come to an end and it needs to be a thing of, Hey, we're, we're watching a special player and we need to cherish every moment here because he'll be, he'll be into the NFL before we know it. Um, like I said, I do think they're prone to the big plays and I'm, I'm really interested to see how do they respond? Is this a different team? We've been talking about it. If they come out and smack West Virginia, go on to beat Oklahoma then, okay, we expected some adversity and they came back from it. I do want to see how they respond, or is it just going to be more of the same? Mike, I hate to interrupt the Kool-Aid Fest. Did you realize who we have on the call this Saturday? What channel is it on? It's on Fox Sports. Um, it's not It's not Gus, I'm guessing, because uh, no. he does Big Noon. Is it uh, – I'm trying to think who four is. Is that – or Fox is. Is that uh, – is that McElroy and no, I would, I would take that every day of the week. Uh, Tessator and McElroy, uh, this is a true tangent. Tessator and McElroy, I actually think have been all right this year as have RG three, which is a total weird one for me. Um, I think he's been pretty good. Texas, West Virginia has Tim Brando and uh, Spencer Tillman. Weirdly enough, 
I met Tim Brando in the press box at DKR once. He was a really nice guy. We ran into each other at the restroom, and it was during a Texas-West Virginia game. Uh, I mean, you've just been standing up for some of the people that I detest the most. Referees, Tim Look, Brando. Man, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not standing up for him. Just telling you, I met him once. He was a nice guy when I met him. Does it? Yeah. That, that's I have not, heard that he's a super lovely guy. That's uh, not commentary on him as and how he does his job. That's a separate thing. I just thought it was odd that it was the last time was at a Texas West Virginia game in DKR. Um, I'm trying to think when that would be. Would that be Charlie's last year? Yeah, it was uh, Deontay Foreman. It was weird because there was something that happened on the goal line right before the half. I think like Deontay Foreman fumbled or or he was down or something and they called it a fumble and and I'm going to the bathroom at halftime and standing there at the urinal and then walks Tim Brando to the urinal next to me and he looks over and he goes, huh, he was definitely down. And I was like, yeah, I thought so too. Great, great <laughs> meeting you, Tim. <laughs> See you later. Nice. Just uh, guys being dudes. Um, here's, I guess, the, my positives thinking um, about this game. I think that Texas can get whatever they want if they stay aggressive in the passing game. And I think that with modern football in general, a lot of it is you're passing to set up the run. You're trying to get guys out of um, out of the box, uh, create a numbers advantage, and then you go into the running game. Um I think that if Texas stays aggressive, that they can really exploit um, West Virginia with their secondary and their linebackers. I have not been impressed with their coverage ability. So I think an, an aggressive offensive game plan um, is going to lead to a lot of points. And I, I think there are points to be had. Um, I don't know if this is positive or negative, but this is one of the more winnable games like on the schedule. This sets up, up to be a big win. Like, Mike, off the top of your head, is there another game that sets up as a win better than this one on the schedule? What do you mean by that? Like just a beatable team? Yeah. Um, like who – yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I know you don't think a lot of TCU there at home later in the year. Um, yeah. I need to – I need to. before we get out of here, I have to make small apologies to – Kansas State especially, but a small one to TCU because, you know, they did end up beating SMU. I do agree with you that it sets up well, but, like, I guess my thought is, and maybe this says more about Texas than anything and their program and the ups and downs, is they're no more beatable or unbeatable than anybody else they had at home on the schedule this year. You know what I mean? Which is, I guess, my point, though, to where maybe it is a little bit more disaster-filled than – we're acting because if if every game we're going into it to where you know it is a semi toss-up or we're not confident that they're going to win like I, I don't feel about any team on the schedule schedule that I felt going into the UTSA game you're not going to go six and two seven and one in that slate and then if you slip to a seven and five you're in a really tricky position and then we start getting into the point to where we're having to write difficult articles in our main co- topic of coverage with recruiting where, you know, seven and five is not easy to convince guys that the program is totally going in the right direction. Like there needs to be a course correction that leads to the type of season that kids thought that the horns were going to have after the close Alabama game. Yeah, I agree. Um, no, I mean, it, it, look, it's, 
it is as close to a must win as possible. So I do think um, it sets up well, and I think it gives you some confidence. And um, I'm, I'm especially interested to see, you know, it's funny. I, I, I remember these kind of years where the weeks before Texas and Oklahoma play, you know, like they're coming off losses or whatever, kind of seeing how they respond going into that game. I'm, I'm equally as interested to see how does Oklahoma respond and what do they look like going into Red River? Um, you know, because if Oklahoma loses to TCU this weekend, they're also in a crisis at that point. And so it's, it's an odd, an odd spot for the conference. And I do think like, I guess my long-term view of it and the way that I'm not freaking out is the conference is so wide open this year that even with the loss of tech, they still, everything's still kind of in front of them. And that's a great point. You know, I, I think at this point, like, until it gets to the point where, okay, they've got three losses in conference or two losses in conference, we could probably ride them out of the conference championship game. It is still there. And I'm, I'm, I'm a process guy. Let's see how the process plays out. Um, that is a little bit of a good segue. I might as well get it out of the way. Both of us, to be completely honest, have been very out on this Kansas State team. I don't think that Kansas State all of a sudden is going to run the table and uh, win the Big 12 after they scored 10 points against Tulane. But Adrian Martinez, you do deserve your flowers after going on the road to Norman and really kind of putting on a masterclass and scoring a ton against Brent Venable's defense. As much as the Texas defense didn't make adjustments in a Big 12 loss, I think that if you're an Oklahoma fan, you have to be a little bit concerned that they were so stubborn on sticking in cover uh, zero, cover one man. And just even if you're spying Adrian Martinez, they were just so aggressive to the point to where he was able to just escape with his legs. And I think it's a good, uh, I think it's a good lesson for a lot of other big 12 teams and how he actually can uh, really just you know, kind of screw things up for your defense. So credit to Kansas state. Yeah, I, it was a certainly, I think I probably joked about it last week of like, Hey, this is a spot for Kansas state where they've come in in the past and, you know, watch out for it. But yeah, we were pretty down on Kansas State and credit to them for, for getting it done. And God, that's got to be I, – I, Mac was in that position where he just couldn't beat Kansas State. And Oklahoma's starting to um, get to the point where it's like, okay, how many years are we going to let Kansas State come in here and win this game yeah. um, like this? And I thought it was almost similar in a way to Texas. I Even I would call it a worse loss. It was at home. Um, it is. Yeah, it is. It's a worse loss. Very much similar to Texas in the sense of, you know, this is a team that Oklahoma had been playing really good defense leading up and Hey, things really changed. And, you know, this, and, it, and they just went right back to like that last year's yeah. kind of defense in the, in the way it looked. Agreed. Um, are there any other results from last week? I know that you mentioned um, that you wanted to do a segment where you kind of pick games against the spread to flex your gambling knowledge as you kind of test things out. So I have that teed up for you. But um, now you are shrugging at me off camera. You distinctly did tell me this uh, last week. On the air? No, not on the air, but uh, when we I got think, off. I think I said to you that, like, uh, you know what? I think I've been pretty good at reading AM and I think I could make money betting on them. And I probably should just track what I, I would do. 
Um, which, by the when way, you- I, I had Arkansas last week in that game, and I would have well, – I, I took Arkansas and the That's under. why gambling's so cruel. Oh, my God. I took Arkansas and the under, and I would have hit cash both of those because uh, Arkansas, it was Arkansas plus two and a half, and uh, the uh, total was 49, and I would have hit both. You know what's horrible is that a lot of people got Arkansas plus one and a half or plus two. And if you're plus one and a half there, it is. Oh, that's just tough. I genuinely think you would have to start re And apologies if this is, you know, triggering for anybody who actually had that bet on their slip. Two really freak plays in that game with the... Yeah. KJ Jefferson, you you cannot dive into the end zone from the four-yard line. Like, you you are a fantastic athlete. You cannot jump, broad jump 12 feet. Like, uh, just don't do that again. Um, And then the field goal was like the weirdest thing. I didn't know what happened for like the first 10 seconds. I was like, okay, so did it go in? Did it, you know, I was was very confused. Um, Credit to A&M though. I mean, I I think people are, people are saying, well, they've got two top 10 or top 25 wins in the last couple of weeks. If you're counting the Miami win. Yeah, right. Technically, yes, that's true, but come on, dog. But yeah, I think that is a good Arkansas team. And they went in there and they were I've never seen a team quite crater like that after that big play. But AM might be able to just um now it's gonna hurt that they lost to Nia Smith a lot. Um and I hate it personally for a guy that I knew and covered in high school that he he his career's kind of gonna end like that at the college level because he was such a, a good player for them. But man, they might be able to just what we thought was like a uh, weaknesses might be able to cover it with some really good defense and Devon chain and a and M secondary. I'll tell you is as good as I've seen team. and, yeah, and maybe by far the best, the best in the country. I like very good. And to the point to where they go like nine deep. Yeah. I mean, they get, so we saw that a couple weeks ago, I think where they had like a couple guys spitted and hurt and they were just like, yeah, no problem. Yeah, we're fine. Bryce Anderson is will we'll just come in the game and be fine from uh, day one. God, wish wish Texas uh, had won that recruiting battle. So, Mike, are you gonna uh, hypothetically? This is very much putting on your hypothetical slip. Mike isn't gonna actually bet these games, but um, almost a slow ramp. So, Texas A&M is plus four on the road against Mississippi State this week. Um, what was your initial thought at that line? I I liked Mississippi State in this spot. Um, before I saw the line open, I believe it opened at uh, Mississippi State minus two and a half and has grown to four, um, which is a little surprising to me. But also, I don't know. I think that I think that there is a little bit of an understanding that Mississippi State stylistically always gives AM problems and a home game with this A&M offense that if you get down by a couple scores, unless they have freak, you know, 99 yard fumble recoveries, like they're going to struggle to match you score for score. Yeah. I haven't seen enough from Max Johnson in that game to make me think that, Oh, all of a sudden their offensive issues are fixed. Um, Mike Leach seems to take a special joy in beating uh, Texas A&M and uh, has throughout most of his career. Um <laughs> I want to look at it. I wish I kind of looked at the spread and and didn't think we, uh, we would get into it. I, I guess I'm going to lean. 
I feel like I'm tricking myself here because I'm almost like, hey, I thought I didn't think Miami was going to get them. I did definitely think Arkansas was going to win. I feel like I'm tricking myself maybe into thinking that Mississippi State is the one that trips them up. But, you know, AM seems to always be able to find their way out of that tailspin under Jimbo Fisher when it looks like it's going to start. I will if, say this. If pressed to do it, I'm going to pick Mississippi. I'll, I'll take Mississippi State outright um, in that game. What's the total for that? Uh, 45. But I think that's the interesting framing. And uh, our close friend, Tim Verghese, made uh, tweeted this. And I, kind of, I, I can't remember if I razzed him about it a little bit or not. But he mentioned that, like, A&M upsets Arkansas last week. And I was like, dude, they were a two-and-a-half-point favorite. And I am almost hearing the opposite this week of, like, can Mississippi State, you know, stun Texas A&M? Like, I, I do feel like there's this weird thing with the A&M team where people keep on, like, oh, is Mississippi State going to, uh, you know, trip them up or whatever? It's like they're a four-point favorite. Like, they they probably should win this game when you look at um, – when you look at both teams and I don't know if you're a and M, I think the urgency has to be there similar. I don't want to say similar to Texas, but it, to the point to where Alabama is on the horizon, you don't want to go into that game uh, knowing that more than likely you're leaving at three and three. I mean, the hard part for Texas fans is, is that they were two freak plays away from AM probably being uh, two and four to open up the season or at least being projected to be two and four to open up the season. But um, I would lean Mississippi state and it's, the four points, but it's hard to take a lot from Mississippi state's resume. Very beat, much. They, beat, they've can't, Yeah. Beat Memphis uh, one at Arizona lost by, you know, 15 to uh, LSU. Seemed like a weird game too. I only caught the first half where they were. That was uh, where LSU kind of came roaring back in the yep. fourth, right? It would be Bowling Green. I mean, yeah, I, I this one is actually, after I bragged about being able to read pretty well, actually a pretty tough read for me, um, just because I think I'm almost tricked myself into, well, you know, Mississippi State's tough for them every year. And then I'm talking myself out of, am I just tricking myself into it? And then it's like, well, maybe it's the Kansas State principle with Oklahoma where <laughs> they're, just, they're just really tough for them every year. So, um, I, yeah, you know what, pressed, I'm going to say, or you can just pass if you don't have a strong lean. I think that's fair too. I don't have a strong lean, but I feel like not making a pick is a cop out. So I'll take, uh, for my fictional betting slip, give me uh, Mississippi state outright and give me the under. Texas's other regional rival, Oklahoma is favored by six against TCU and an 11 o'clock game that I think, his, in a really weird uh, turn of events, the majority of the money is on Oklahoma, which I assumed that that uh, people would identify this as a bad spot for them and take TCU plus six at home. Uh, my lean, I, I, I've told you this before, I am a, I guess, numbers and analytics and just what I see from, you know, I test over spot betting. But while all of that would make me take Oklahoma minus six, like, I don't know, there's a part of me that TCU and the points is very interesting coming off of this kind of uh, performance for Oklahoma. Like, I don't know, I don't, maybe people think there's a bounce back, but. I see I, it's there's an, if this was still a Lincoln Riley team, 
I think most of the time I would just say, Hey, this is a, this is a get right game. Like they're not gonna drop these games in a row like this. I don't know what a Brent Venables team looks like in this way. Um, But, you know, obviously we're going to find out. I would say that I I would lean towards, I think, uh, you said it's uh, it's TCU plus six. Yep, TCU plus six. uh, TCU money line plus one. I would lean Oklahoma by a couple of scores. Agreed. Um, I just think, and I wanted to know from you, have you changed your tune on TCU? So, like – to be completely honest, no. They get out to a 28-7 to uh, lead against SMU. I, I did not think – and, you know, we talked to Gabe earlier – or I talked to Gabe earlier in the week, and because he's a North Texas uh, alum, watched SMU play North Texas and just wasn't very impressed with them. And I think that that was the main problem, I guess, with that pick is that, you know, SMU just did not play well and until the second half where they end up making it a one possession game and really have a chance, have a chance in the fourth quarter to tie things up and just couldn't get it done. Um, the TCU defense is just awful. Their offense is fine. You knew, you mentioned in the preseason that they'd have some weapons and they look all right, but I, I, I'm not necessarily certain that this team's going to win, you know, seven, eight games, which but- is around what their over under was, I think six and a half preseason. They are running the ball very well, which again, I mean, what has their their schedule to this point has been Colorado, you know, SMU. one of the worst power five teams, SMU, which again, it's a one possession game that I think that they probably should have won by multiple possessions than what they had uh Stan Frazier's Tarleton State Texans. Yeah, so not not the not the toughest competition. Yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah, I, I lean towards Oklahoma kind of getting right after this game. And I don't really think it's a spot for them. Like I think had they beat Kansas State, it would be a bad spot for them. I think obviously when you lose to Kansas State, even when you have the look ahead with Oklahoma or with Texas, I mean, um, I think losing a game like they lost to Kansas State gets everybody's attention. Um I want to go to, I guess, a Big 12 game that I think is probably one of the more interesting college football games in general. Uh, you don't have to have a side here, but I just want to have your thoughts as we kind of wrap up the pod. Baylor hosting number nine, Oklahoma State. Baylor is a two-and-a-half favorite. I really like Oklahoma State here. I'm with you. Um, I do, too. I, I've been a little suspect of Baylor this year. I think that they um, – now they did. I, I thought had an impressive win last week, but I I just don't think they're quite what they were. And I think Blake Shapin's been good, but I mean, is he? I, a lot of people were talking about him being just a very clear upgrade for their offense, and their offense hasn't seemed to roll as much as it no. did last year. Um, where and, and they look, yeah, and they looked fine against Iowa State, but. I left that game almost wondering, like, is Iowa State maybe the worst team in the Big 12? Like, I was not very impressed with Iowa State, and and they're a three-point favorite to Kansas uh, (laughs) on the road in Lawrence, and part of me really wants to take the Kansas money line, which is just, oh, my God. I know that it's borderline obnoxious just to do the, oh, Kansas is good thing every single time we bring them up, but, like, it's so fucking weird. It's apologies for that ball. Yeah. no, I, I think I think I, I got to go with Oklahoma State in that one. I really, 
They're off a bye, too, which I think that's something that gave TCU a lot of um, help against SMU last week is that first half. They just had their opening script that was just ready to go. And I think Oklahoma State will be a similar deal. Yeah, and um, they've, you know, they've kind of gotten to this point where it's, um, you know, they've, they're almost under the radar, right? Like nobody's so – everybody's talking about, like, what's going on with Texas? What's going on with Oklahoma? And is Baylor going to repeat? And like nobody's talking about Oklahoma State really. Uh, and maybe that's just because they were off last week, so they didn't get a chance to. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of – what you said it's a two-and-a-half – yeah, uh, Oklahoma State is a two and a half dog. What's its total? Um, let me look it up. And I will say this: if you are listening to this and you're on the Baylor side, some things like similar to TCU, Oklahoma State really hasn't played anybody this year. They have a 58 to 44 win at home against Central Michigan, where the breaks kind of get cut off, and then they beat Arizona State at home, 34 to 17, and that's an Arizona State team that we know. Um, is not very good. The total is 56 and a half. So that's a, I think I kind of like the under in that one. Yeah. That's an immediate lean to the under. Um, and I'll look and see if there are any fun props before we get out of here. I'm going to do a quick, uh, Texas gambling breakdown for you. Nothing super fun for props. See, now I remember, I don't think I said, Hey Hudson, I need to do a gambling segment. I said, you need to do a gambling segment. We'll, we'll never know for sure. If only we could be like whatever ad there is where you throw the challenge flag. I'm sure I'm wrong, but by the way, is there an is there an advertisement for the college football slate that's really jumped out at you this year? I have a I have a clear favorite for me. Uh, no, there's nothing that I I can remember at least off the top of my head right now that's that's been. Um, kind of playing over and over. Maybe when you say it, it'll jog my memory. A lot of people don't like this commercial. I absolutely love the Real Housewives uh, direct TV commercial. Yeah, I, I have seen that a lot. Um, those commercials do tend to get old. Uh, yeah, I can understand it, um, but that's just one that I very much enjoy. Um, Texas has dropped to a eight and a half point favorite. This was, I believe, at ten and a half at one point. Um, and I'm not exactly sure where the money is, but Texas's number keeps dropping. Bets that I always have loved for Steve Sarkeesian, Texas teams, is the first half. Um, if you're not totally comfortable with them getting a bigger total, they, they're they a better first-half team normally, save for the US, UTSA game being one of the only examples I can kind of think. But Texas is five, uh, laying five. Um, in the first half, I really like that bet. The over-under of 31 and a half in the first half is really interesting. And the over-under for the game total is 63, which I would lean over, even though it is a little bit of a big number. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I kind of think we're – I guess maybe I'm making too much out of it, but is it a pattern of Texas getting a fast start letting the other team take a lead and then kind of roaring back before halftime. It at least happened against UTSA and then uh, tech as well. So um, I think that may be a pattern to watch for the, uh, you know, if you're a first half better or something like that. Um, Looking at some other, at some other props too. I'm trying to think. Um. (laughs) 
who will anytime touchdown score? Uh, where are you, Bij? Oh, that's not a fun one. Bijan Robinson is minus four hundred for anytime scoring a touchdown. So not a ton of not a ton of uh, juice there. No value to be had for no. sure. Um, if you could make your own prop bet, what would it be? If I could make my own prop bet, what would it be on this game? Would you be? Would it be like? How about uh, if it, oh, it would be a, something where it's like big value, where it's if they get in the wildcat, Rashawn Johnson's going to throw. See, mine would be like um, over under two and a half horns downs after West Virginia touchdowns. Just. Absolutely smashing, obliterating the over. <laughs> okay, maybe like maybe raise the total, but then you know at that point you're betting. Okay, how many touchdowns? Are you, like if it was over under four, are you betting the over four and a half? Are you betting the over on that? Do you think they're going to score four touchdowns? They're going to do it every time. Like uh, that, those seem like fun props to me. If you are, if you are, um, this isn't even great value, but if you're looking for a true. Uh, kind of goofy prop. Bijan Robinson, two or more touchdowns plus 170. So if you don't like any time touchdown scores, if you think that he's going to have a big game, that's a fun one. And I bet that, I mean, I will say this against the spread this year, Texas is uh, three and one. I've, I've been three and one um, kind of handicapping their games, but the player props, I do feel like we've gotten a much better read on. I'm going to look those up right now just before we uh, get out of here. Um, by the way, uh, I think we've almost covered every Big 12 game, so we might as well mention this one as I'm looking these up. Mike, Kansas State minus 7.5 against Tech. <laughs> really weird spot where both teams are kind of like this would be a letdown spot for either team, but they're playing each other. So it almost negates. Um, do you have any sort of analysis on those games? Is that game in that Manhattan? Game? It's in Manhattan. Yes. I, Manhattan. I guess, I guess I'm, I'm going to be the guy who's the lone believer in tech. And maybe that's because I, I do have a relationship with Joey McGuire. I have seen him kind of work his magic at the high school level, um, uh, it's so hard to say, though. You're right. Like, if each was playing a different team, I think we'd both bet them in a letdown spot. But um, I, I'll take Tech going to going to Kansas State and getting a win. I think I think Tech's better than people are giving them credit for. Ooh, an outright dub. Let me see what the money line is on that, just for funsies. Uh, I, I definitely take them to cover. Oh, okay. You sorry. You said outright. Well, no, 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 no. I would definitely take them to cover, and I think okay. I, I think I would lean towards taking them outright. Plus two thirty five for those wanting to back Mike. Um, JT Daniels over under set at two sixty nine. Nice uh, passing yards. Bryce Ford Wheaton eighty seven and a half. Caden Prather sixty one and a half. Sam James forty five. Um, I'd probably lean over for Bryce Ford Wheaton. I think that he's going to have a monster day. Unsure on Prather. He's been pretty hit or miss. I'd go under on Sam James. Uh, Bijan Robinson, 110 and a half rushing yards is the total right now. 
with Rashawn Johnson, the other prop I'm seeing at 35 and a half, which see, I think the most tough because he gets, he gets a lot of uh, targets in the past game as well. So all of his touches aren't uh, on the ground. I think the most interesting prop is Prather because I do think Texas is going to scheme to try to take away Fort Wheaton. Yeah. And that's going to open up Prather. And I think I would take over 61 for him. Honestly, pretty good analysis. I hope that they scheme again. I hope that that is the uh, game plan. I hope that that is the takeaway from prep is we need to have Ryan Watts on this guy wherever he goes. Don't only play Ryan Watts in the boundary, like just follow. Because again, Bryce Ford Wheaton has the, <laughs> the stereotypical, did you know he used to play basketball frame? Like he just goes yeah. down there and post guys up, but it's like, that's actually what he can do. Yeah, he's 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 pretty scary. Um, all right, I think uh, we've covered it I, top to bottom. I think that'll do it real quick, just because we do get inquiries about it every week. Nothing else. Um, nothing else on the specific things draft. No, nothing was hit. Um, and I, on unfortunately, Mike, I do not think that game day will be in, in uh, at the Cotton oh, next week. That has gone down the tubes. Um, I do think. Had they won, you know, the two games leading up to that, there was definitely a possibility. But, yeah, that's down the tubes. It was a savvy pick, but unfortunately you were let down by both sides of the Red River. So uh, I was really I was really let down by the intel we got that far like ESPN was going to stay away from the Fox game because I would have hammered it being the Alabama game. Yeah. I just I, – I think I let you talk me out of it being – I, it definitely game. was me. When you said the intel, I was like, "Oh God, I hope he's." I hope he got told that by somebody else because it was definitely me. Yeah. Which, again, if you're ESPN, that should be the that should be the uh, game plan going forward because everybody was at game day. Nobody gives a you know anything about big noon kickoff. Like, what better way to just completely take away the coverage? And I get that you don't want to do the lead into somebody else's game, but still. Like the talk of the town was that game day was there. Yeah, we should. I mean, we we should have known. ESPN was not going to miss a chance with two brands like Texas and Alabama that they've made a lot of money off of. That's all. That's kind of on me for letting you talk me out. Uh, Mike, I think that'll do it. All right. Well, uh, always fun talking Texas with you, Hudson. I uh, I actually. Like this has become kind of my favorite podcast to do because I don't have to prep for it. I don't have to. I just kind of sit down and fire from the hip. Yeah, we just get these takes off. And uh, last week, a lot of takes <laughs> would have gotten freezing cold takes exposed. But uh, hopefully for a better result this week, as we both picked the Texas Longhorns to beat the West Virginia Mountaineers. If Texas does get the win, I think that we're going to have a really fun podcast on store next week leading up to the Red River shootout. Fred and Standish. That's Mike Roach, um, and that'll do it.